Good morning. How are you doing today? Good. It's, um, I, have to, it, I have to say that it's, it's difficult for me to follow that. I've been telling you, that's powerful. And, and um, if, if the Lord is, uh, doesn't, you know, if you can't feel God speak through that to you this morning, then um, there's a little something wrong with your hearer, and we need to get that fixed before you leave today. That's so powerful. And so I want to um, talk to you about something this morning it's, that's on my heart, and that is the subject of joy that your joy may be complete. So grab your Bibles, turn to the book of First John, First John chapter 1. We're going to work our way through First John chapter 1 together. We're going to pop over into Second John for a moment, and then the book of John later on, so you can just kind of remember all of that if you want. That's fine. I'll remind you in just a moment. But First John chapter 1, and we start with verse 1 in, in just a second. But before I do that, uh, every so every couple of years or so, I, I started doing this a few years ago. That I choose a word for the year for my life, and and so I've been praying about that for a few weeks. And and so this year, I, I chose the word joy. I really felt like that was the word that God wanted me to focus on this year for my life. And and so I began to make a list about joy in my life and and how I wanted that to affect me. And and so I said that I want a greater joy for my relationship with Christ. First of all, that's where I start. That's where we should always start. And then that I would have greater joy in my relationship with Reba, my wife, my soulmate. Not that there's anything wrong there. So don't let your mind go there, okay? Understand that, right? So, but yet we can always have greater joy in our relationships. Then with my children, my, my sons, my daughter-in-laws, and, and also my my grandchildren, that I would have a greater joy in my relationship with them. And then a greater joy in my calling, and that is of teaching Scripture, that I desire a greater joy in that. Because over the years, that, that, that comes and goes in, in my life. And, and I, I struggle with that a lot of times because of pressure and demands and other things, that I have a greater joy in my calling. And then that I have a, a greater joy with all of you in the room, because that's the real struggle. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's not, right? But that I have a greater joy with all of you in this room, because... I, I have, I, and I admit, being very transparent with you, that I have struggled in this area of joy in my life over the last few years. And, and so I said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Then I'm going to crack open the Bible, and I'm going to see about what I can find about greater joy within my life. And, and so I begin to search out scriptures, and I could go to James and other places, but I found myself landing in 1 John chapter 1 in, in starting with verse 1. So before we begin to kind of get you, get you friendly with each other, could you turn around and say good morning to someone? Uh, wow, boy, that was a really like, oh, really, Mark? Yes. So maybe today is a good day to talk about joy, right? Isn't that a good thing? Yes, it sounds like it is. Kind of gloomy, kind of cloudy. Would have been better to have a nice sunny day and spring weather, but we didn't have that. So anyway, when I begin to think about joy, then, oh, by the way, just to, just to get you kind of uh, geared up for next week and the week after, then next week I, I really feel impressed to talk to you about regret, as we start this year about regret, okay? So it has nothing to do with today, understand that. But I'm going to talk to you about regret. And then the week after that, proceed failure. But yet, First John chapter 1 and verse 1 is where I find myself talking about joy and where the Lord directed me. And so it starts like this, that which was from the beginning. And so it's important, I think, that we take a little stop for a moment and talk about what John is kind of ramping us up to understand about the text this morning. And, and that is that that Christ is without beginning and end. And it's a great place to start. And that's where we have to start is understanding who Christ is in our lives, but understanding who he is overall theologically. And, and that is that 
he, is the, he has no beginning and end, that he is not part of the creative order, but that Christ is that of the source of all of creation. So when we look at Christ that way, what we understand and realize is that everything flows from him. That is what the writer wants you to understand, that everything flows from Christ. So we go back, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we, have, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. And so what the writer does is this. He brings us back to the incarnation. We just came out of the Advent season. We've talked a lot about this, but he brings us back to the incarnation. But I begin to wonder, why does he take us back there in the middle of all of this? And it's this, because a lot of people struggle with that. And, and here is my thought, that they don't necessarily struggle with the miracle of the incarnation. People don't necessarily struggle with the miracle of the virgin birth and, and, and all of that. But what they struggle with most of all, I think, is this, that when God becomes man, he strips away all pretense of, 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 my, of mine, of yours, to be God ourselves is what he does. He removes all that pretense within our lives. In other words, we, we can no longer do our own thing. Jesus came, and because of that, we can no longer do our own thing because he becomes the measure of all things and not us, not ourselves, that he becomes the measure of all things. So that's why he takes us there. It's an understanding of who Christ is. That, verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may too, you may too have, may have fellowship with us. Now, so this text is about relationships. And he goes on to say, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so what it does is John takes this message of Christ, whether you call it doctrine or whether you call it theology, but it's the basis of all Christian fellowship between us and our God and between you and I together. So he kind of covers all the bases with this in in this unique order uh, or in this order in order to create this joy within our lives that we're going to talk about for a moment that 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 we that we have to understand that Christ is the basis. He's the source of all this. And he's talking about fellowship between us and him and about between you and I. And so he goes on to say, in the middle of all of this, he hits us with this verse, verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And I thought, of all of the things that he writes about, and then he hits us with verse 4. That our joy, that our joy might be complete. And I can't rip this from the context. I have to leave it in the very context in which the writer has placed it. And so what this means is my joy is directly connected to my relationship with God. Yes, we understand that. But also my joy is directly connected with my relationship with you. And that is the part that we might struggle with sometimes in, in our life, in our walk with Christ. And so what John is doing, I think he's connecting that all for us. That he's connecting joy with relationships with God and joy's relationship with each other. So how do you define joy in relation to the book of 1 John? How do you do that? And so John says, hey, if you want to pursue completeness in your joy, then you got to listen to what I'm going to tell you. Because this joy that we're going to discover in context is so connected to relationships, he's saying. And as we fellowship with God, that we pursue our joy in the joy of others. That we pursue our joy in God in the joy of others. It's a powerful concept. And so it's a joy not based upon externals. 
because he starts with that of who Christ is and that he is not a product of creation, but he is the source of all creation so that everything flows from God. So joy comes from God. But my joy is directly connected to my relationship with him and my relationship with you this morning. And that is powerful. That says that simply I have an obligation to with God in my relationship and I have an obligation to you as a family member of faith. So I, I ask this question of myself, what or whom completes the joy in my life? What or whom completes the joy in my life? And so I have a couple of points to share with you this morning. The first is this, a greater understanding of who God is and who we are. And you say, Mark, every time you teach on Sunday mornings, you always start with this concept of who God is. Yes, because that's where we have to start. Because if we really don't have an understanding of who God is, then I don't think, first of all, we're going to really understand who we are. And then we're not going to understand God's intention for our lives and what God desires to do in all of our hearts and our lives. And so we go to verse 5, and it says this. This is the message we have heard from him, proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And so my thought is this, that God is forever light and truth. What does John mean that God is light? Because that is a huge question. Because he says that in verse 5, that God is light. But then if you read on in verse 6, which we'll do in just a moment, he simply talks, simply relates to God being truth. So what is God? Is God light or is God truth? Which one is he or is God both of them? Because John could have said, hey, here's what you do. You practice truth, you live in truth, but you don't live and practice light. So which one is he? Is God light or is God truth? And it seems that they're both one in the same. And it's a powerful thought. I kind of scratch my head and I said, what does all this mean about truth and light? But God is light means that God is the source and the measure of all things that are true. That nothing is truly understood until it's understood in the light of God. The book of Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It, it is, so he is the source of all that is true. And whatever is true is true because it conforms to him. But why does he use this word light? If he uses truth in verse 6, then why in verse 5 does he simply refer to himself as, as light? Because when, when the writer is putting these words together, he realizes this. Under the power of the Holy Spirit and understanding and, 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 and that of discernment, he realizes that when if you just call God truth, that some people are, are going to wonder about really the truth of God. They're going to wonder, is there a dark side of the truth of God? Is there an inviting truth? truth about God. And, and so they would somehow maybe put up a, a, a wall to the truth of God. So John uses light because it promises that truth of God is, is that a truth full of joy and hope. Let me illustrate this because it's a little different concept to understand. So here's what I want to do. Somewhere I have a light. Here it is. Here it is. Yeah. So I'm going to ask the tech crew. They have no idea I'm doing this, okay? Because this came to me late last night, so they have no idea. Could you do this to the tech crew? Could you kill all the lights in the room? Just make it very dark for me for a moment, okay? All right? Could you make it very dark? Uh, now make me dark, too. There you go. Yeah, we have a few more that are left on. Can you turn those off or can you not? I don't know. If you can't, that's, that's perfectly fine if you can't. They're figured out how to do that. All right? If it gets too dark. Oh, there you go. Good. All right. Make sure that if you're a lady, you pull your purse close to you, men. Make sure your wallet you, you have in your pocket. You know, you just never know who you're sitting next to, right? Yes, yes. Um, <clears throat> this is the thing that I wear when I walk my dog at night. Yes, isn't that wild? Isn't that funny? Yes, and I know that's pretty bright, isn't it? I'll put it down like that. There you go. Yeah. 
And, and so I know my, my neighbors must think I'm very odd because they see this globe moving through the neighborhood in the middle of the night, you know? And, and especially if you do this really late at night, that's when they call the cops on you. So, so, but, but I thought about this, that light helps to avoid danger. And this is exactly why John uses light and truth. Because he wants you to understand that of the positive and the good aspects of light. Because what light does, it helps you to avoid danger, and it helps you also to obtain the things that you desire to get to. And so darkness is full of threat, and darkness is full of danger, and darkness is full of uh, uh, things that frustrate us to obtain the things that we want to get. But light changes all of that. And what light does is this, that light exposes danger. It frees us from the lurking power that we find in danger. It opens the way to the things that we want to achieve. It brings freedom. Why light and not just truth? And what he wants to prove to us, what he wants to say to us is this, because with God, with God, there is no hidden agenda. Because if he just said that God was truth, then we would wonder, well, maybe in that truth, there's a dark side to that truth. But he says, no, no, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So with God, there is no hidden agenda. So the result of that is this, that when I come to God, I don't come to God in fear that maybe God is hiding something from me, that God wants me to come close to him so that God can somehow be punitive toward me and and punish me. But he says, there is nothing hidden in God, that God is committed to complete the things that he has started in your life, that God is committed to your well-being, that he loves you as the perfect father, that he will never harm you, but he will always do what is absolutely best for your life. And that's the beauty of light. That is the beauty of light. You see, the writer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, man, he knows us. He knows us. Because if he just said that God is truth, if he just leaves it in that, then we're going to wonder what is hiding in that truth. And then when we come to God, what's going to happen to us? And how is God going to accept us? And is God going to reject us? But he says, no, no, wait. I want you to understand that God is light. Because in light is goodness. It is. It illuminates and it it eliminates danger. It eradicates danger around us. It lets us see where we're going. It's the path to joy. And it's a wonderful thing because when the writer puts all of this together and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he knows us. Because sometimes, some of you in this room, you're somewhat distrusting to God. Yes, because you just don't know what God has in store for you. And what the writer does, he eliminates that. And he said, this is the path to joy that not only is God truth, not only is he truth in life, but he is light. And when you come to him, there's no regret for coming to him with all of your heart because there's nothing hidden about God's intentions toward you. That's the path to joy. That's the path to joy. Now, you can turn on the light, or I can preach the rest of the time like this. I don't know what you want me to do, right? Yeah. Let's turn this off. I have to save battery for the next one, so make sure I get this off. There we go. It is off, yeah. So we come to God without regret. There's no hidden agenda with the Lord. We don't worry about that, because here is what he says. The writer says that there's no darkness at all. There's no darkness at all. There's no hidden dark truths with God. It's not there. So when we come to him, oh, we realize that he is absolutely committed to us. Nothing 
hidden with him. I thought about how to really understand this because I think this is a powerful principle about God that we need to really grasp and wrap our minds around. It's like this. It's like you going to Best Buy or wherever and you're going to buy that new TV that you want. You're going to buy that 70-inch flat screen, that ultra HD, whatever it might be, to where it looks like you can just stick your hand into the TV. It's so real. And you buy that thing, you bring it home, you know, and you, you had to like, you had to, you had to pawn a couple of your kids to buy this thing, right? And so you buy it, you bring it home, you take it out of the box. Oh, it's wonderful. It's like this thing to be worshipped in your house. You put it up on the wall, you get it all ready, you get it plugged in, and then you're digging through the box, and all of a sudden you realize there's no remote in the box, right? And all there is is an on and off thing on the TV, a button, and there's no remote. And all of a sudden you see this label that's on the front of the TV. It says, remote sold separately, you know? And you wonder, wait a minute, why didn't I see that on the outside of the box? Why didn't they tell me that to begin with? Because here I am, I'm ready for the big game about to come on, and I have no remote, and the Lord knows that I cannot figure out how to use this unless I have this tiny little this remote to operate this wonderful piece of equipment. And I think we come to God sometimes, and we're wondering, how does God feel about me, and what is God's intentions toward me, and what is God going to do if I do this, and if I do that? And can I tell you with the Lord that He is light and He is truth, that there There is nothing hidden with him. There is no hidden agenda against you that God loves you and God is committed to you. That is what is, that's what what he's writing to us. That's what he's saying and that's the path to joy. But look at verse 6. But if we say that we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. So where does this leave me that God is forever light and truth? So where does this leave me? And here's the practical aspect or the practical application of what we just read. That John's words are very clear that if we grow in Christ, if we engage in this journey, if we're on this dirt path of sanctification, we're walking together, becoming the person that God has designed us to become, Because he is light and he is truth, here is the thing. It's necessary for God to talk to us about the issues of our lives. It is. Yes. But Mark, wait a minute. I have no issues in my life. Well, guess what? You're in the right place because later on we're going to talk about denial. And that's exactly where you're living, right? Yes. Right. Because we all have issues. We do. And we all need to deal with those issues in our lives. So you said good morning to the person next to you. Could you look at them with this look of love in your eyes and a smile on your face and say, hey, you need to deal with your issues. Say that to them for a moment. You've been wanting to do that for a long time. If you're married, then... Guess what? Ah, the couch makes a good bed sometime. It really does for the guys. I don't know why always the men go to the couch. I never quite understood that, but whatever. That's for another time and another sermon, I assume. Yes, but it's necessary for us to deal with the issues of our life. God is going to speak to us about those things. If we're walking in truth and if we're walking in light, then he is going to speak to us about those things in our life. And so John says, hey, hey, don't let that tendency within your life go unchallenged. Don't deny your own heart. Allow God to bring transformation into your life. But you have to deal with your heart. And that's where this adventure begins. That's where it begins. You say, Mark, I didn't realize that that the joy to complete, or the, the path to complete joy in my life has 
to go this way? Yes, it does. It's so powerful, isn't it? That you have to deal with the issues of your life before God in His light and in His truth. And, that, and I'm not talking about just a, a behavioral modification in your life. That's not what I'm talking about, just doing better, being more moral or those kinds of things or some aesthetic adjustment. I'm not talking about necessarily your New Year's resolution to be on a diet or to go to the gym or a routine change. But I'm talking about, as I believe the writer is, a change in your heart. That's where joy begins. That's where complete joy begins, is a transformation in our own hearts. Go back to verse 6 and then verse 7. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. That's sort of the negative part of this application. Here's the positive part. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all Sin, that's the positive. So the second thought is this, that in this path to complete joy, that fellowship with God constrains us to deal with our own heart. But what does it mean to walk in darkness? Woo, I am so glad that you guys are asking all the right questions. Thank you. Because it's amazing how you know how to do that. It really is. First John chapter 2, I told you we would bump over for a moment to First John chapter 2, verse 8. I think it's surprising. What does it mean to walk in darkness? It may absolutely surprise you because you're beginning to catalog some things, I think, in your mind that you think, oh, that's the answer. Hang on. I think it's going to be different for you. At the same time, 1 John 2, 8, at the same time, um, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away. We'll talk about that in a moment. And the true light is already shining. Whoever says that he is in the light and... Now, here it is. Complete joy is directly connected to relationships. Here's the path. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Wow. Because you came up with all these other ideas. I don't know if you came up with that one or not. Look at verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. Here's the positive aspect. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. But then he goes back to negative because he wants to emphasize this to you and I. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Can I break this down for you for a moment to make it very simple for us to understand? If you hate your brother, you're walking in darkness. If you love your brother, you're walking in light. Boom. That's it. Mic drop. Let's pray and go home. Yes, right? Yeah. Because that's it. Yes. That's exactly what it is. If you're looking for some hidden hermeneutics in there about the interpretation some deeper part of this somehow there is this is a smoke and a mirror kind of thing and and somehow it's going to take you to the book of revelation you're going to go to the beast with the seven horns and you're going to do all of those kind of things that's what really this means they're going to take you to the book of daniel no that's not what this is about if you hate your brother you're walking in darkness if you love your brother you're walking in light it's as plain as it is written yes Walking in, walking in light means that you're a loving person. Walking in darkness means that you're a person of hate. This is about our heart. The writer takes it right to the source. Because some of you are already starting, well, I'm going to change this, and I'll, I'll be more joyful, and I'm going to add this to my life, and I'll be more joyful. And I'm not saying that all those things that you put on your list are necessarily wrong within themselves. But the writer says, hey, wait a minute. Before you go there, 
you got to go to your own heart. Because where does hate begin? What begets hate is our own hearts. And so you have to deal with the things within your own self. You have to deal with the things within your own heart is simply what he's talking about. In verse 8, he's talking about this, of that darkness in the world is passing away. He's referring to those desires in our lives. When we desire things of the world over the things that we, God would have us to desire. And when we walk in darkness, we begin to desire those things of darkness, those things of the world over the things of God. And it really doesn't make sense, but yet uh, John explains it because walking in darkness is the only way, the only way that you would ever desire things more than God. It is because we are blind to the light to the light of God. It's like this. It's like choosing a dime over a $100 bill. It doesn't make sense. Why would you choose a dime over a $100 bill? Because you're in darkness and you can't see the difference. I read a devotional some time ago about this very thing of how people make those those choices between that of the desires of God and the desires of the world when the desires of God are so much more beautiful how do you do that you only do that because you are living in darkness and so the example was in this devotional and I have to share it with you this morning it's not my idea but I think it's a very powerful thing it's like he said the writer said it's like when you're locked in a dark room and you're feeling around the room for something comfortable in, in that dark room, and all you feel is these sharp edges all around the room, and all of a sudden, while holding on to a sharp edge, your other hand simply feels a soft, warm fur of something. Now, if I'm feeling around a room in a very dark room, and I feel the soft, warm fur of something, I'm not sure how that's going to make me feel. You know what I'm saying, right? Because I'm not sure what that is. But yet I think it's better than that of some sharp edge. So all of a sudden you have one hand on this sharp edge in the room, dark room, and you have this other hand on this warm fur of something. And then what happens is this. You have to wonder, which one of those are you going to be drawn to? Which one of those are you drawn to? Are you drawn to that Are you drawn to that? sharp edge are you drawn to that soft warm fur which one well think about it for a moment yes then all of a sudden the lights come on the writer said and all of a sudden what you realize is this the soft warm fur is the underbelly of a man-eating monster right yes and the sharp edge is the edge of the cross of christ ready to save but which one were you drawn to in the darkness? It really helps us to understand why we make bad decisions in life. Because when you weigh out the things that the world has and you weigh out the beauty of the things that God has for us, how do we choose those things of the world over the things of God? It's because we find ourselves blind by the darkness that we live in. And so fellowship with God that John is talking about means that you see things for what they are. When you live in the light and the truth of God, you see 
things for what they are. For some of us in this room, that needs to sink in this morning. Because maybe you are on the verge of making a catastrophic decision in your life. And you feel, you feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart. But you're wondering, is that me or is that God? Or maybe for some of you, you're wondering, maybe that's just indigestion. I don't know what that is that's bothering me. And maybe you need to take a moment and a pause in your life to make sure that you're walking in light and truth this morning to see things as though they really are. Here's what I love about fellowship with God. We have this fellowship with God this morning. And, and, and what that means is, that doesn't mean that you're perfect. So don't, under, don't misunderstand what we're teaching this morning. Because we say that we don't teach perfection, but we teach that of progress within our lives. So this is not about you coming to God and somehow being fellowship with God, that God loves you more because that's where you are. That that's not what this is really about. But this is about real change and relationship. So when we have fellowship with God, then what happens in our life is we begin to walk in light. And, and as we begin to walk in this light and this truth of God, that we realize that He is both light and truth, then, then being exposed to that light and being exposed to the truth of God, understanding and coming to Him, understanding that there's no hidden agenda with God, that somehow He's not trying to draw us in so He can really do us in, that that's not it, but He is for us and not against us. So when we come to God and we're exposed to that light, we're exposed to that truth, that real change begins to take place, then what happens within our lives is this, that our heart becomes exposed. Our heart becomes exposed. And so when our heart becomes exposed under the truth and the light of Christ, and we understand the intentions of God toward us today, that what I realize is that I see the very ugliness of my sin, I see the very ugliness of the decisions of my life, and when I see the ugliness of the decisions of my life, knowing that God has nothing hidden against me, knowing that God has no hidden agenda against me, when I see the ugliness of my life, it causes me, when I understand God, to really lean into His beauty. Instead of maybe what I had done in my past, that what I've been running from him, or I try to hide from him, or I try to conceal something from him at some point. But what I realize is this, that when I have this fellowship with God that enables me to walk in the light, then what walking in the light of the truth of God exposes my heart. And yes, the things of my heart are ugly. That's why John talks about hating your brother. Walking in darkness is hating your brother. He said, hey, I'm going to go right to the very heart of all of this. And I think that what he says is this, one of, the, one of the worst things I think that you can do is hate your brother. You're walking in darkness. But here is the deal. Understand this, that God is light. There's no hidden agenda with God toward you. It's not that somehow God is going to thump you in the head and kill you when you come to him. Realize that. But no, but what he wants to do, he wants to expose your heart in the light of his truth and in his love. And when that happens, you come to God, you lean into him because he knows you, you know he is for you and not against you. It's amazing. But yet we choose to run from him because we don't know him at times. We don't know his character and we we don't understand his nature at times in our lives. 
And I think that what we can do, we can look at this and we decide, oh, you know what, the cost of this is really too high for me because I don't want to give up that. And then the writer goes back and says, hey, the only way that you can choose things of the world over the things of God is because you're living in darkness because you can't see the beauty of the amazing things that God offers you. So you choose the soft, furry underbelly of the man-eating monster over the sharp edge of the cross that saves. I think he explains so well why we make bad decisions that destroy our lives or complicate our lives or bring pain and hurt to our lives. And so verse 7 says, and, and, and if, it says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. That what I realize is this, and here's the obvious. Can I point out the obvious? Can I be Captain Obvious for just a moment and say to you this, that walking in the light is the opposite of walking in darkness. You say, man, Mark, really? I came here, at least the donuts were good, but you said that? Walking in light is the opposite of walking in darkness. Yes, because it means seeing reality for what it really is. And then being controlled by the desires of God for our life and not the desires of the world that the enemy simply sets up for us. If God is light and in him is no darkness at all, then he's the path to the fullness of life and he is the path to complete joy. That's why we st- when we started reading this from the very beginning, John starts out with this thing of, about Christ being the source of all things, the fullness of all things, because it comes from him. And then our eyes are opened to his infinite, his infinite beauty and who he is. Our eyes are open and he is to be admired and cherished. And so all other desires diminish in that of the beauty of Christ. And all other light sources become very dim in that of the comparison to the light that Christ has in our life, that he is light and he is true. Look at verse 8. We move on. And this is kind of where we tie everything together. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We say that we have not sinned. We make him a liar and his word is not in us. So on this path to complete joy, fellowship with God leads us to reject the act of denial. I told you we had to talk about it for a moment, right? So it leads us to reject that act of denial. And, and you, some of you think, but Mark, the only, way, the only way that you can make the good news of the gospel, the good news of the gospel, is to, not, to deny that changes are necessary in our lives. Because if we admit as a believer that, that somehow that need, needs to be change made in our lives, then we think that somehow we're chipping away at the, the, the assurance of our salvation. Because really, after I'm saved, how I live has nothing to do with my salvation. And can I tell you, that is absolutely the furthest thing from the truth. Walking in light is necessary for salvation. It is. And this confronting our own heart and having our heart exposed is absolutely, it is absolutely necessary and it is a good thing it's good news because it creates an atmosphere in our life where we get down to business and we're serious with god we do we look at our heart for what it is and we don't deny the things that are what it's in there because when we understand these things it flavors our life with eternity that we don't desire something superficial within our life that somehow makes us look better to others but yet we desire something in our life that really brings change that brings change. 
And so I have to deal with the things of my own heart. Can I, can I read you something from the book of John, this time, chapter 8 and verse 31? Because this is not an old thing, this denial deal, you know? It's not like something that came up in, 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 our, in our time frame, in our historical frame. But it's not. But look at John chapter 8 and verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word and are truly my disciples, and you will, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Yes, you're walking in light and walking in truth and set you free. It goes back to what we're talking about. But verse 33, they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say that you, that, that you will become free? Now, all of a sudden, you get this big red light flashing. It says attitude alert from them, right? It's exactly what it says. It says, Lord, how can you say that about us? Look, we're the descendants of Abraham, and, and we've never been a slave to sin in our lives is exactly what they're saying. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The sin does not remain in the, the, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, that you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. Another what he's saying is, hey, I have been here from the beginning, before the beginning. I know who you are is exactly what he's saying. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. How, how do you take this loving Jesus who has been healing, who has been setting people free, who has been doing all these amazing things? He's a savior of the world. How do you go from loving that healing, saving Jesus to hating him? And it's when he begins to talk about your heart. And what I find is this, if I have fellowship with God, and, and that is that that when I'm walking in the light, there's going to be those opportunities for God to discuss the things with me about my heart. And it's a good thing because it brings me to this place of getting down to business with God. It truly brings change within my life. It gives this eternal flavor to my very heart in my life. And what I realize is this, I can't walk in light and I can't walk in truth and fellowship with God without a constant willingness to admit that I'm wrong. To resign my right to be right. Wow. I don't know if you've ever met a person who struggles with that of admitting they're wrong. I don't know if you have. I know it's none of you, okay? I realize that, right? And some of you say, oh, no, 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 it's a person I'm sitting next to you. And it has, yeah, right? It's sitting next to you this morning. And, and, and I would say that it's probably you too. That we struggle with dealing with the realities of our own heart and our own life. And why? I think partially because this, that it goes back to what we read from the very beginning that he is light and him is no darkness at all. That we're not sure if God has some kind of agenda or vendetta against us. That if we admit to God something in our heart, if we talk to God honestly about where we are in our own life, that we're not sure. If we go to God and say, God, I'm really struggling with forgiveness with this person. In fact, Lord, I want to be very honest with you and tell you that I have not forgiven them. And I'm struggling even to like them, much less love them in my life. And we're afraid that somehow God is going to burn us down to the ground if we do that. And what the writer says, hey, he is light and in him is no darkness at all. That he is committed to you 
to love you, to forgive you, to walk this path with you. God, I'm wrong. God, I'm wrong. And God says, yeah, I know I was there. Yeah, I I know I was there. Yeah, come over here and let me give you some love. Yeah, that's God. There may be some correction involved. Absolutely. He disciplines those he loves. But I know his heart. And his heart is a heart of love. Yes. Can I finish with this? First John going all the way over to chapter 3. And that's where we end. Just a, t- a couple of texts. Because I believe this helps us to frame all of this well together about joy. And about our confidence in God. It's First John 3 verse 19. But this we shall know. That we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. He said, hey, here's confidence in your walk with God. Here is the thing. Just because you're going to admit to God, you're going to come to God, you're going to open your heart up to God. You're going to say, God, I messed up. Lord, I'm, I'm, I have unforgiveness in my heart. Understand this. That it, this is not this moment that causes causes you to be unsure in your relationship with him or your salvation with him but it is yet a part of your relationship with god he said here's the confidence i want you to walk in for whenever our hearts condemns us i don't know if you ever read this or not i i've read this before but man when i read this and talking about joy i'm just like wow it's it's just like my heart wants to jump right out of my chest when i read this it was so amazing to me for whenever your heart condemns us, for when our, whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. It's an understanding of the foundation of our confidence in Christ that completes our joy. You see, when you talk to believers about confession, believers get nervous. Because somehow that we think, well, if, I, if, if you're talking to us about confession, it somehow takes that confidence about my salvation away. And I remind you again, as we do often, that this is not about perfection, but this is about progress within your life. Understand that, that the perfection that you live in doesn't come from your actions, but it comes from the actions of Christ upon the cross who covers us with his perfection. Thus, the father sees us through the perfection of his son. So this is not to throw you into some vortex of doubt this morning about whether you are saved or not. No. But John gives us this implicit promise that we as believers can know that. And we don't have to go through life doubting that. That we don't come to God with fear and anxiety and and self-incrimination, but we come to God with confidence. And that confidence does not spring from our good works. That confidence springs from our relationship with Him. Just as a child would come to their earthly father in confidence. And I know that you've been violated, some of you in that area. But the ideal of that is that a child comes to his earthly father in confidence. That his earthly father will do the very best for him or her. 
but what about this? But what about the times I don't get it right? But what about the times when I don't love indeed? What about the times that I struggle to forgive? What about the times that I really don't love the person that I'm near this morning? What about those moments? What about those times when I'm hurt? What about those times when I am victimized? What about those opportunities where I fail in those areas? I've not lived these things out. And my heart incriminates me. And my heart condemns me. I feel that in my life. In those times, the writer reminds you, he reminds me of this great fact and this understanding that God is greater than our own hearts. That he knows everything. And I wonder, why does he use two affirmations that God is greater than our own hearts and God knows everything? Because it's like this, the human heart is not the final standard of judgment or mercy. Rather, it's God in his marvelous grace. God is the standard of that of judgment and mercy within our lives. God's, it's God's power that ensures our faithfulness. So there's no need to fear, even if our heart condemns us, because God knows us. He knows us. He has a relationship with us. We are his kids. Because the ultimate basis of our relationship with God, our confidence with God, is not our steadfastness. It's not. But it's his greatness. And I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit this morning that for some of you, that sets you free. That breaks some chains away from your life today. That brings a rest, a breath of fresh air, not because Mark said it, but because God said that to you. That it's not your steadfastness that anchors your confidence in God, but it is His greatness. So as a believer, when I come to Him and confess, I come and confess in confidence that I am His child. I messed up. I made a bad decision. I'm struggling with loving my brother. But the beauty of all of this is that I'm coming to him because I know that in him is no darkness at all, that he has no hidden agenda against me. He's not out to get me. He's not how some kind of lure me close to him so he can burn me down to the ground. But yet he's bringing me close to him, drawing me to him with his loving kindness so he can embrace me and love me and set me in the right direction. That is the path to complete joy. So would you bow your heads for a moment before we go to the Lord's table together? And I I say to you today with confidence that we come to the Lord's table without fear. 
without anxiety, self-incrimination. And I would say that would be ideal to say that. But the reality of this room is that some of you will approach the Lord's table this morning with fear. And you will approach the Lord's table with anxiety. You will approach it with self-incrimination. But can I tell you something this morning? He has no hidden agenda against you. None. Because the scripture says that in him is no darkness at all. He is truth. He is light. So as you come to the table today, come with your hearts open. Maybe it's time for you to confess. Maybe it's time for you to to seek healing for your life. But it's time for all of us to open our hearts to a God who is committed to us. And trust Him. And trust Him. He is the forgiver of your lives. The redeemer of your souls. He is the healer of your mind, your body, and your spirit. He is the restorer. He is the one that speaks life. He is the path to complete joy this morning. And that path leads us through this moment of fellowship with Him, of walking in light and truth, and of dealing with our own hearts. So, Lord, do a mighty work in our lives at your table this morning as we come to celebrate the price that you have paid for our redemption, the blood which you have shed for us, represented by the juice, the body which was broken for us, represented, Lord, by the bread. That God, in celebrating this, that brings us to that remembrance. And that remembrance brings us to the point of opening our heart to you. And God, we pray that you would speak to us powerfully in this moment of reflection. Father, bless the elements as we partake them together. Lord, in this moment, may you lead us to the path of complete joy in our lives. And we give you thanks.